that's the whole point. It's not that we come to work necessarily just to do work, but it's that we want to be around these people and problem solve together to build a better business, to drive impact, drive results. Hi, I'm Jenny. And I'm Harold. And this is You'll Manage. That clip at the beginning of the episode, it just really, really speaks to me. It's just like, that is when I feel happiest at work, when it's people I enjoy being around and we're all like working on a problem together and it's interesting to solve. And I feel like we're connected and, and heading in the same direction. Yeah, it's a feeling of like being in the trenches together. You're, you know, almost like going to war and you come out of it and you can all celebrate, right? Those are the moments that you treasure. But yet that's not the normal experience, which is sad because we spend so much time at work and why shouldn't we all be able to enjoy the people we work with and have that camaraderie with each other. Yeah. And it's like, we're working on this podcast and sometimes it is, it does feel like work, right? We have to really do a lot of planning and editing and You hear that, listeners? We put a lot of effort into the show. (laughs) Yeah, and and, and it's still a lot of fun um, because it's something that's that's a fascinating topic. Yeah, and and we enjoy each each other's company. company (laughs) um, This is a Thursday night and we've been hanging out with each other for the last two hours working on this podcast. (laughs) Right, exactly. So the question is, how do we get more of this at work, right? And today we talked to our guest about how it is the manager's like responsibility to to build this kind of environment. Yeah, exactly. And I think that a lot of times we forget that the work experience is not just coming to the office and sitting at your desk and get the work done, but it's the interactions that you have and the relationships you build with your peers and your managers or your direct reports and what like those are those are the relationships you should be building to make you a more effective and productive person and have meaning to your work life. Exactly. And that's why we talked to our guests today so much about what it means to build community in a workplace. So today we'll be talking to Charlene Lee, who is the head of product and design at Radar, which is a B2B SaaS startup based out of New York. So Radar powers location for apps to manage things like fleet tracking, delivery on location, and messaging. Um, And before that, she was a product manager at Google. Hey, Charlene, welcome to our show. Thanks for joining us. Hello, very happy to be here. So I know when we were talking before, you told us that you had been in IC up until your your new role at Radar, where you transitioned to kind of a, a leader in a company and also a people manager. How did you handle that transition? I was aware that I was going to step into the new role. And so I did talk to a number of my mentors at Google on just tips of what they had done, what they had seen, and then just dived right in. And I would say it's every day... Uh, ever since day one of being being the manager, it's been it's been part of that transition. <laughs> well, what what did your mentors tell you? Something that stood out from a mentor is make sure you learn from your reports. He says that that's the number one question he'll always ask people managers of what did you learn from your reports? And if they don't come up with an answer, they're not a good manager. And so it was very important to me as I got to know my reports of always thinking about it from the perspective of well, what can I learn from you? What can I learn from you as a person? What can I learn from our interactions of your just your working style? But just always being thoughtful of this is a learning opportunity for me too. I think for a lot of young managers, you initially go into a role and think you're very excited about being at the at the top of the ladder and almost the idea of when you tell your team to do something, they'll go do it. 
And you learn very quickly that is absolutely not the case. And a lot of it more is that being a manager of a team is more about bringing people together on a an idea of of trust. And there's mutual trust. And that trust that it's it's not just a one-way direction of, I tell you to go do something, you go do it. It's more about why are they there? And I think it's the manager's job to be able to paint very clearly what's the purpose and what's the vision of what you're trying to do and why their efforts help add to the team's overall goals. And that was probably one of the biggest things that I learned because, you know, when you have really smart, ambitious people on the team, and I'm very lucky to have had and still have really great people on the team, I'm realizing my job is to help connect their inner purpose with what we're doing on a day-to-day basis, with what the company is trying to do, and make that very apparent so that people can bring their full selves to the table. So is there an example of, let's say, a direct report where you help them connect, you know, from an individual perspective to the team and then to the overall company? Yeah. During my transition, one of the first things that I did, and this was a piece of advice that a lot of Google mentors had had given me, was to really understand my team on the individual level, meaning understand them as people. And it sounds so basic that you should get to know everyone you work with personally, But it's probably one of the things I noticed that so many people miss that. You miss that chance when you first meet someone. You you might talk about what you do at work. You might talk about the team, history of the team, et cetera. But you don't actually get to know your team individually, meaning who are they? Where are they from? What do they really care about? What has been, what are things they like to do, don't like to do? Who are they outside of work, which is a huge part of what makes us people and something very key as managers is to really understand what are your reports trying to do in life. And it was very important to me to understand why people came to a company like Radar and what were they trying to do after Radar? Because it's not like this is the one and only career that they have. And so very early on, I spent a lot of time understanding what people wanted to do. So for example, uh, one of my reports, it was very clear that he came to the company fresh out of college, because he wanted to learn what it was like to build a startup from the ground up. And it was important for him to learn what it was like to work on both the technical and the business side of the company. And so whenever we start on new projects now, for me, it's very important to frame about, frame how, how this is also a lesson in learning a side of the business or a key skill that he might need if he ever wants to start a business himself. Because Every, every business starts with a product. And so it was important for me to always connect those dots. Finding out about someone as an individual, is that just a matter of just like asking them, what do you want? It sounds like this guy re- really knows what he wants, right? This is exactly <laughs> why, he, why he joined the company. Is it always this easy? Oh, no, not at all. It takes a lot. It's, it's, it's a back and forth conversation, right? About what do you really want to do? And why do you think you want to do it? We've gone back and forth on, should he go to business school if he wants to build a company? What skills does he think he, he already has and what skills does he want to build? And then I also give my input of things that I think might be helpful based on what I've seen. But like I said, it's always a two-way conversation because you can't just go in cold and just start asking all these questions. There's a lot about being vulnerable and showing myself as well and showing who I am as a person and why I genuinely care. Like, I'm not just asking this 
uh, because I read it in a management book or someone told me that I should go do this because that's what managers do. A lot of it is that I genuinely care and look at the role of a manager to help people on their professional and personal goals. You also mentioned earlier, you know, it's ultimately about building trust. What are ways that you have built trust successfully or you're still working out how to build that trust um, with your team today? So I think one of it is that it's really important that the first couple of conversations when you're meeting someone to bring, I really believe in bringing your whole self to work. And this, trust me, this is not an easy one because historically I've always been on very male-dominated teams, teams that are not especially the most diverse. And I've also struggled with how much of myself to to bring And over time, I think I've gotten more comfortable to share more about, for example, my experiences out in Asia, what that meant to me, and encouraging other people on the team to also talk about the experiences to them that were very meaningful or very personal that might not come up in a normal work setting. What I've learned is by first opening up the conversations and talk about these types of things, making it very clear that it's okay, it opens the door for them to also feel comfortable to, sh- to share. And that's probably what been one of the biggest things. And that's, that's kind of what I mean by bringing your, your full self to work. So basically, you're saying that as a manager, you really have to be the one to make that first step to almost be vulnerable and share snippets of your life that kind of gives the green light for other people on your team to do the same. Yeah, absolutely. Because... I think managers sometimes are very unaware of how their presence can affect everyone else in the room because managers and leaders in general set the tone and set the culture through behavior. Because you can have posters, you know, everywhere in your, your office, you know, touting your company's values. But I really believe that values and culture just come through what people do on a day-to-day basis and what what is normalized based on what you say, what you do, and how you do it. So what are the, some of the ways that you kind of consciously maybe change or shape how you behave as a way to create the space that you want to create? This is such a, such a simple thing, but Monday morning we have a team stand-up where we just go around giving updates of what we're planning to do for the week. And by the way, something I should have mentioned is that I onboarded remotely to this company and... It takes extra effort to be able to get to know everyone and really build that trust when everything is happening virtually. So I started in very small ways. So on the Monday meeting, I realized I'd been in this meeting probably twice uh, already and didn't know a single thing about anyone on the team other than what I had learned um, just, just listening. And so what I suggested is that we start doing, just share something something cool that happened over over the weekend it can be anything. It could be like a video. It could be something you read, something you watched, whatever. And kind of having these very small icebreakers really makes a world of a difference, just opening up and sharing a little bit more about yourself. And since then, we've also moved on to every week, someone picks a question and we go around the room and just answer it. It can be something as silly as literally, if you were a potato, how would you want to be cooked? <laughs> Which, funnily enough, has become one of the most heated debates uh, that, that the team engaged in, all the way to things like from your childhood of um, what was something bad you did as a kid to, you know, what was your 
Spotify most played song of the of the year from your Spotify wrapped. All of these nuggets of information help build your understanding of each other in a way that you don't get to f- do formally when you're working on a project, I'd say. And I think it's made a huge difference also for new people that have joined the team to also just get a sense of who everyone is and find commonalities or also learn something new. Was there anything else from your, you know, even though you are an individual contributor at Google, was there anything else from your Google experience that you felt was really transferable um, to what you're doing today? One of the biggest things that has impacted my journey to being a manager and also the manager I, I aspire to be is having had some of the best managers at Google. And literally when I say best manager, they, they won the best manager at Google award, which is a very, very, <laughs> it's, a, it's a big company. So it's a very big feat. And so I think back to one of my earliest managers at Google, a colleague had once mentioned to me that one year spent with this manager probably accelerated my learning by three to four years. Uh, so I would say specifically that that one manager had spent so much of his time uh, with me for over better part of a year, literally teaching me all the skills from the ground up. And so looking back and seeing how much care he put into my professional and personal development, how much he also cared about specifically what I would, I really wanted to do with my career, where I wanted to go and also making, helping make that happen was just paramount to, I think, my entire career at Google. And Having had that kind of mentorship so early on and seeing what it was like to be a good manager and also how he had built an entire team of people that just cared so much about each other, had so much pride in our work. We even had something as simple as just a team name, right? Just like a team name that we all refer to ourselves by made me realize how important being a good manager was and how the whole team could feel it. Is there anything looking back now that you're in the shoes of a manager that you felt like you took for granted as a direct report? I think about this a lot because I had two phenomenal managers and I'm so impressed actually with how both of them just had so much energy and care and understanding for me as a person. And I remember every single one-on-one, it just made me feel like I was the most important thing to them at that moment. They came into the meeting so focused on what I needed, helping me with whatever I was working on, so plugged in to what I was doing and could always just give great advice or pointers instantly. And I'm so impressed with their attention. I Now that I'm on the other side, it's a very big lift for me to reset when I move from meeting to meeting from different one-on-ones to, to different people on my team and be able to give that same level of care and attention that I felt like my managers gave me. And I'm not, I, I actually need to, it makes me think I should go reach back out to them to figure out how they did that. Because now being on the other side, I'm juggling, you know, four or five one-on-ones in a day, juggling team meetings, team priorities, things that I'm hearing from our CEO. And to be able to, be able to make my way through that noise and just focus on that one person and what they're doing, it's a big lift, I think. Another thing that I learned at Google was, I'm trying to explain, Project Oxygen, it's a research project started by our people operations team to go try to understand what exactly was the most important factor to high-functioning teams. And what they did after a series of years was come to a list of specifically 
10 traits that they said were the most uh, essential uh, behaviors to, to Google's best managers. So I always thought, you know, for example, the best product managers would make the best people managers or the best engineers would make the best eng leaders. And that was not necessarily true. It's important to have the technical skills to advise the team. But what they found was one of the most important things was building a very inclusive team environment, meaning a safe place where people feel they're able to, and we talked about this before, bring their full selves to work feeling free to take risks and say what they really believe and feel that they have all of the skills uh, or feeling that they're empowered to actually do the job themselves and do what they think is best, not necessarily what the manager says. And being able to create that kind of environment was the most important thing to being a good manager, followed by supporting people in their career development and in their uh, personal and professional goals. and then few other things like being a good coach, being a good communicator, being a strong decision maker, being able to set, articulate the clear vision and strategy for the team. All of those things were important, but some of the most important things was about creating that safe space. And at Google, we called it feeling psychologically safe was the most important thing in a healthy, high-functioning, high-trust team. Are there ways that your company now, Radar, um, that you tr- you guys try to do to build that psychologically safe environment at work? And, and you've largely been remote. Like, how do you do that in a remote environment? There's some things that I've introduced and one of my eng managers likes to make fun of it. He calls it Charlene's forced fun activities. <laughs> <laughs> and th- these are kind of the things I was saying, like the icebreakers, but also, for example, when we do... When we do any team activity, I like to introduce just some sort of activity that breaks down the barriers for people to talk openly or or have fun. So for example, when we do design sprints, I like to have some kind of open activity where people can draw something funny or um, use use our online collaboration tools to to be able to not be so so serious when we go into these these long team activities. But other things that I've I've tried to do is something I've tried to do that to be very thoughtful. It's not just about the trust that I have with my reports, but it's also about the trust that they have with each other. And again, that can happen organically and that can also happen through, through intentional behavior of, of how I'm trying to structure a team. So on the latter part, for example, I like to pair people together or pair groups of people together to work on a certain initiative. So it's not necessarily a, an actual project for the business, but it could be something to help with, to have them think a little bit more about ways that we can collaborate more. So, you know, go out and find some of the new, new collaboration tools to help us function better together as a team when like, for example, when we're doing a design sprint or what is another way that we could be collecting user research better, you know, work with so-and-so on this and kind of come back. It's more about putting them in situations for them to work with someone who they might not necessarily work with on a day-to-day basis but together we can all be working as a team and also being able to build that kind of relationship over time and not just when an immediate project comes and you're forced to work on this thing together. I want my team to be able to identify things themselves without um, without me always having to direct or for me having to advise. And the only way to do that is if they form their own institutional knowledge about things and start forming that instinct themselves. 
you mentioning that a colleague teases you about these being forced fun activities. I think it does speak <laughs> to something that makes people nervous to bring these things into the workplace, right? That mm. there's something a little bit cheesy, a little bit earnest about it. How do you kind of get over that barrier? <laughs> or is it just like you have to push through it? Yeah. So I think to kind of for context, I work with a lot of engineers as uh, working in the product space. And so not everyone's as extroverted as I am. And I'm very aware of that. And so a lot of the ways to break through that barrier is just just being open to, oh, we can try it. But if it doesn't work, if the team doesn't like it, we don't have to do this. There are many ways to connect with one another. And so it's kind of taking those baby steps and not saying that we have to do this, but it's more about we can try it and see if it if, if it sticks. And this is also in the, in the idea that we're working remotely and there are more limited ways to get to know each other without just being on an, yet another Zoom call. Because if this were, again, in back in the ways we've we've traditionally worked, the first thing I would like to do is, you know, go out for dinner, which is probably one of the best ways that I got to know my team back at Google. The whole point of these forced fun activities is kind of the idea of creating a community where people genuinely care about each other. That's the whole point. It's not that we come to work necessarily just to do work, but it's that we want to be around these people and problem solve together to build a better business, to drive impact, drive results. That's that's the whole point is bringing it back to kind of the inclusive team environment. It's really a community that cares, respects each other, and at the end of the day is, is kind with one another or kind to one another. I, I think that's a really interesting point because a lot of times when we talk about these topics, we almost talk about in a singular way, which is manager to direct report. But actually, if you think about it, it's manager and multiple direct reports. And I like how Charlene talks about creating a community, right, with your team. It's not just a one-on-one between the manager and direct report, but the relationship between the direct reports and each other. They also have to trust each other, not just the trust you have um, with them. Yes. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's probably something managers and young managers and something I didn't think too much about until I reflected to what made me love my team so much back at Google, what made me respect my manager so much. And a lot of it is comes to that part about pride, having pride in your own work and having pride in the work you do together as a team. And that doesn't happen overnight. And that doesn't happen just because you join a high-functioning team. That happens when you really believe that everyone you're working with is work, you're working together for a greater goal and that you genuinely care about one one another. Do you ever have to convince anyone that the, the community aspect is is worth investing in and, and spending time on? Yeah, that's a good question. Not necessarily I have to go convince other people, but I think this is one of those things you can't explicitly say, okay, we are going to build a community today. <laughs> team, team building exercises. <laughs> I think that's that, getting back to your other point. You know, I think that can t- kind of can come off as cheesy or come off mm-hmm. as mm-hmm. trite or forced. And I think the more important thing is this goes back to the idea of how how to be really authentic about it. And I think it's something innate in your in yourself, at least for me, is that I genuinely do care about everyone, and I do want to get to know everyone in terms of what you know, who are they outside of work, what do they what do they like to do? Because I really believe that. There's so much you can learn from other people and especially the people you spend so much time with on a day-to-day basis. 
it's it's really important that you you get to know each other. At least what I hope is that by my trying to do this and making the effort that other people will do it. And at least with my my immediate team, I think we've gotten to that spot together. And that to me, that's the most important thing is that we have we have that community. And have there been any moments where you can see, oh, something's clicked and and it's working or that connection's been built? <laughs> I don't think you I don't think you get an email like that, you know, your, <laughs> no, your order has congrat- arrived now. Congratulations. So. <laughs> <laughs> I think some signals is when they can organically talk about other people on the team and see value in the work they, that they bring. For example, the, for them to make that connection of, oh, um, so-and-so actually has done this kind of project before too. I should go just talk to them myself, you know, without, without me suggesting it. That's when I know that people, you know, people are, are melding, um, ideas are, are coming together. Or if they, they come to me with, oh, you know, I was just talking to them and we have this new idea that we actually want to try. What do you think? And those are the signals when I know that that people are actually connecting, people are forming new ideas together, and that they felt comfortable to share ideas with each other and get feedback before presenting uh, a proposal. And that's really what all you can really hope for as, as a manager, I think. There's one thing I want to kind of explore, which is um, you mentioned earlier, which is like showing them rather than telling. Did you fall into that trap and can you share a bit around that? And then how did you overcome that? Yeah, I'd be surprised if there was a manager who didn't fall into this trap because when you're making the journey from being an IC to a manager, you you probably were a very strong IC, right? Because you were probably probably drove a lot of results and that puts you on the path to to becoming a manager. And there's a chasm that you need to cross to think less about yourself and your own results to more about your team and is your team able to do things without you? If you're an effective manager, your team is able to function very well together without you needing to always be present. And so kind of for me, I remember one of my, someone on my team needed to create a projection model. And I was trying to be in that spot where I didn't micromanage and didn't, um, didn't, didn't tell them what to do and just, you know, really wanted to empower them. So they went off and did the model, came back. And in my head, I was like thinking, oh my God, this is a disaster. This is just not what we need. And also feeling the pressure that this is also one of the, as this is really early on uh, at Radar and feeling the pressure that I needed to deliver also for this greater project. And so what I just did, I was like, oh no, th- this is great. Thank you. And then just ended up redoing the entire thing myself. Mm-hmm. And then we've all, we've all been there. <laughs> we're, we're, we're nodding so hard right yeah. now. You can't, you, the listeners can't see this, but <laughs> and uh, because we were, you know, coming up to a tight timeline, I was thinking, it'd just be faster if I just do it myself. And I did it. And I remember the moment. I remember the moment that my report realized what I had done, and I just redid their entire thing. And just seeing that feel, that face of just being crushed almost like betrayed. And I could just see that happening where he's like, well, then why do you, why do I even need to be here? Right. And that's just to me, warning signs everywhere. This is not good. And I remember taking a moment and coming back to him to explain what had happened, why I had not set him up for success on this project, why it was completely my responsibility to not just make sure the work is done, but 
to make sure that he knew how to do something, that he knew how to create a model, that he, that these are the skills that he needed to build and that it was more important for him to build it and develop those skills than it was for the project to be done. And so that was a huge thing for me to realize this should never happen again. Like I need to make sure that as, as a manager, it's important that I pair the right projects with the right people based on their skill sets. And if they don't have those skills yet to make sure that there's enough time for me to either coach, for them to build those skills on their own, for someone else to work with them on it, to set them up for success. And so coming back to that chasm that you have to cross as an IC to think more about the team is that as an IC, you're so focused on driving results. You don't think about the long-term journey that someone is going on. But when you're on the other side, when you've crossed that chasm, at least for me, I, as a manager, I think about who are all the people on my team and their journey in their career and how I can help them move along on that journey, specifically through the work that they do on a day-to-day basis, through their relationship with work and the skills they're building. Hearing you describe it now, at the stage Radar is at, right? There's just lots of pressure to deliver. It's it's like growing very quickly. And having been at kind of a hyper-growth company before, I, I can't even imagine like feeling like I have the time to let someone learn on the job I don't think that, I never felt that kind of patience when, when I was um, in that position. So how do you like, how do you balance those things? Is there, is there a need to, or is that the whole company culture? Um, I think for me, so the way that I balance it is never taking for granted the people who are on my team. And everyone has a choice to be on my team, to work, to work at Radar if they want. And for me, I... I'm very aware of how lucky I am to have such talented people, such curious, passionate, fast learners on my team, and how I genuinely believe that they have done good work, that they're capable of doing great work, and that it's it's really a privilege to have them on my team. So I'm constantly aware of that and am so grateful about the fact that they make a choice every day to come and work. And so it's part of my responsibility. And again, like I keep coming back to this idea of a two, if, if it being a two way relationship is that my responsibility is to have that patience to then give back to them in the best way that I can, which is anywhere from being a coach to talking to them about their own um, professional goals to being a friend who cares about their own well being. And so, yes, it's very hard to juggle all of these things. But for me, I'm in the midst of all the chaos that's going on with, like you said, a, a hyper-growth startup that's just growing quickly, I think it's just, it's important just to remember that we are, we are people and we should just keep treating each other like people and treat, treat each other with that kind of patience and kindness and not take for granted that people are just working and that they're reporting to you so they have to do what you say. For me, it's almost like it, it links back to, I mean, you kept using the word community, which isn't something we hear a lot at work. And I think when even you saying, right, people have a choice to be there, that is kind of having that community mindset, right? Where a community, everyone is choosing to be there versus the like the workplace job direct report manager mindset is like, well, you have to be here and you were assigned to report to me and you don't, you don't have a choice. Yeah. yeah. I think I really do appreciate all you've said about community. So I'm going to ask you like maybe a tough question. 
if I were a new manager and I kind of arrived, whether it's an, I'm inheriting a team or I'm building a new team, but I wanted to build community for it. And of course, it's, it's not one size fits all, but what are, what are three things I should try? I think the first thing is, have you gotten the chance as a manager to get to understand reports, get to know your reports, who they are, what are their personal goals? What are they trying to do? Because as a community leader, I think it's, it's really important for you to even understand your community in the first place. I think it's the first thing. I think secondly is creating that space for the community to get to know each other. And so things like team dinners, team activities, small things like icebreakers, those are all ways to create the space for people to get to know each other outside necessarily of a direct project. And then I would say the third thing is to think back to your own experiences of when you really felt included or you really felt like you understood you 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 felt this inner energy of being excited to go to work and seeing the people every day um, around you and think back to what was so special about that experience what were the things that your manager or the people around you were doing that made you feel excited and can you bring that back into your own team and in in your own authentic style and so this is going back to kind of what we were talking about before of moving from forced fun to actually organic things that bring the team together. I really believe, you know, this is my style. It's like, I like to do icebreakers. I like to ask these fun, silly questions. And, and that's the way I like to get to know people who I, I might just meet. But everyone has their own style. And I think as a leader, there's probably things that have happened in your past that have worked for you that you've seen or you would like to try to do. and. I would encourage new manager, managers to think a little bit about it and, and, and bring that into to your own team. Because at the end of the day, a community is really about everyone being authentic and true to who they are. And so I would encourage people to think about what that means for them. Nice. Solid answer. <laughs> <laughs> Charlene, it would be great if you can share a little more about where people can find you and also learn more about Radar. Yeah, absolutely. I do have a personal website where I have great aspirations to to blog more regularly. Um, website's charlenelee.me. Hoping to revamp it and also link up to this this podcast eventually and learn more about Radar. Uh, we're actually hiring a, a number of, of new people. So we have a lot of roles open from technical, technical roles to uh, business side of roles. People can find us at radar.io. Um, slash jobs. And so we are always posting things there. Great. Great. Thanks Thank so, you so much. much for joining us. Thank you both. Really appreciate it. That was such a great conversation we had there with Charlene. Absolutely. And I think this thing about us as managers, we're community leaders is such a powerful statement. And we forget that we are building our own little community and, and we have to strengthen that community to be able to function without us, essentially. Yeah, absolutely. There's so many things that um, resonated with me in that. And the, even, even this little thing that she said about how in one-on-ones, 
you want to be so focused that your direct report feels like there's nothing else that matters right now. You're they're the center of the universe. That's such a good reminder for me, actually. It's so easy for me to get distracted or start thinking about other things, not be fully prepared for it, not go in with enough of uh, thoughts in mind. And also even just a little thing like I'm taking notes on my laptop. I actually realized quite recently, in fact, I think after after we spoke with Charlene, I've had time to like put this into practice where I just close my laptop. I'm like, it's just more fully important. listen it's, to what they're saying. Exactly. It's more important that they feel like I'm completely engaged than it is for me to, to take notes. notes. And if I really need to, I'll scribble something down. Yeah. Yeah. I think another thing that resonated with me was this idea that, you know, one of your goals as a manager is to create a team where even if you stepped away, they would still be able to function without you. And, and, and that resonated with me because I remember early in my managerial career, I was really anxious about just taking a day off or going on vacation. Like, will my team know what to do? And I'll constantly message them. Are you guys okay? Do you need anything from me? And that was really stressful probably for them and for me too. And if you created a team that can, you know, go to each other instead of, you know, having to always come to you and they can they can work together, then that's a great sign of success. Yeah, and I think kind of related to that, this idea that when you assign someone a project, the goal isn't just for the project to get done. The goal is for them to build the skills to, to exercise a certain um, competency through that project. And if you really think about it that way, it's not like empowerment or, um, you know, Coaching is not just the like the how or the feel good part of work. It is the the actual like it's the why. You're serving the purpose of that project, which is to give someone the opportunity to build and and exercise their skills. Yeah. And I think sometimes as managers, maybe we fall into the trap of being too results oriented Mm -hmm. to just get the right outcome that we forget that, you know, it is our job to make sure that they can ultimately get to that outcome, even if it's not today, but maybe, you know, a couple of weeks from now. And that's your outcome, right? Like the results drivenness of you should be driven to the result of the team building the skills, right? Exactly. Um, so I think that's a really good way to think about it. And of course, there's the community aspect, which really, I think, resonated with us both a lot. And normally we would kind of do a one, two, three style recap, but Charlene did such a good job at the end of the episode. Three tips that she had for making sure you do build that community. One is obviously learning about your direct reports, really getting to know them personally and getting them to know their aspirations. Two was building those connections between your team members. So it's not just the one-on-one relationship between you and each team member. But creating that space, which is how she said it, right? Creating a space for them to know each other. Yeah. And three was to draw on your own experiences and think deeply about what made you feel comfortable in yourself and excited at work. And how do you bring some of that into your workplace today in, in a way that's authentically you? Yeah, and and I think she gives great tips. And we'll be giving you a great tip in our next episode, which is our challenge episode, um, where we will hopefully break down this concept of how to build a community as a community leader that you can um, level, how you can level up on your manager skills in that way. Yeah, and I think it's a perfect one for one of our Yo Manage challenges because 
our Yo Manage challenges are all about taking something that seems like a big task or, or a really um, complex theory and breaking it down into just very actionable steps that you can take immediately. Um, and indeed, this is something that feels really big, right? Building a community that maybe is as big as it gets at work. And um, hopefully our Yo Manage challenge will give you one small way to get started on that. So that's our episode for this week. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you've got any questions or feedback or experiences you want to share, as always, we want to hear from you. Um, we've always mentioned our email address on this, but also we have a Twitter account. It's just at you'll manage. So if you want to tweet or DM us, um, we would love to hear from you there as well. And if you love this episode, please don't forget to share this podcast with your friends and family and coworkers, everyone you know in the world, um, and leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Help us build the You'll Manage community. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time, we're here to reassure you. You'll, you'll manage. manage. Still listening? Here's an outtake from this episode. Or, yeah, just adjust the arm if it's more comfortable. Oh, shit. Don't adjust the mic, adjust the arm. <laughs> we're, we're, we're pros here. We're pros here. <laughs>